As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply you will slowly, gradually see the condition of the mind improve and you will see your life just get better and better and better. It's just really simple and straightforward. Authentic Talks is all about authentic conversations. This show is all about growth, love, respect, success, mind, body, and spirit. If you're looking to grow and become your authentic self, then this is the podcast for you. And I am your host, Shantae. Welcome to the show. Hi, you guys. Welcome back to Authentic Talks. I'm really excited about this week's guest because we had a conversation, you guys. He even met my husband. Since then, I have learned so much since we recorded this show. It's been amazing. I absolutely love the teachings and I love that it's it's all truths, which is so amazing. And he is the author of Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. And he is a dedicated practitioner and a teacher of Buddha's teachings who has been a part of the Thai community since 2001. He shares his story, his journey of how he ended up in Thailand and why he is now a dedicated practitioner. You guys, please welcome one of my teachers, David Roylands to Authentic Talks. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to have you here. Can you please introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. My name is David Roylands. I was originally born in Washington, D.C. and now currently live in Chiang Mai, Thailand, which is in the northern part of Thailand. And Thailand is really well known for its Buddhist teachings and Buddhist culture, particularly here in the north. People here practice the teachings very, very closely. There's many, many temples on every single street corner, essentially. And it's just a really wonderful place to live. I consider it heaven on earth, truthfully. And for me, I practice the teachings of Gautama Buddha as a dedicated practitioner. And I also share the teachings with people who live a household life, so household practitioners, as well as ordained practitioners. So oftentimes, ordained monks will come to me for teaching as well. And I teach online, I teach in retreats, I am invited to various events around the world where I also share the teachings of Gautama Buddha. And the primary goal of his teachings is to help you understand why the mind is discontent 
why it experiences sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, loneliness, boredom, guilt, shame, fears, resentment, jealousy, all of these discontent feelings. And then his teachings go on to share with you how to train the mind to eliminate these from the mind. So that's what I share with students in lots of different ways through various resources and events that I host around the world. Wow, that's really awesome. Can you share with everyone, who was Buddha? What is his story? Sure. He has a really amazing story. He lived over 2,500 years ago and was born in a region of the world that we now call Nepal. And today we have the country of Nepal and the country of India, but during his lifetime, it wasn't yet, those borders weren't yet established. So he was essentially a prince in a kingdom. And that kingdom kind of was in that region of the world around Nepal and northern India. And he progressed in his life as a prince, and his father pretty much kept him sequestered in the palace. He wouldn't let him go outside the palace because he was really interested in his son being a monarch and inheriting the royal riches and the royal throne. But at the age of 29, against his father's knowledge and wishes, he actually went outside the palace and he observed a sick person, an aging person, a person who had died, and he observed an aesthetic or kind of a roaming monk who was searching for a better understanding of life. And some of the realizations that he had or some of the observations that he made is that when people are sick, they become very discontent. Their mind is not well. And then when people age, you know, the body is old and decrepit and painful feelings and people can't work as well and we kind of deteriorate. And then when we die, people who are left behind become very sad and and discontent. And he really kind of shook him to the point where he was interested in these three problems and why people's minds were so discontent when there's sickness, aging, and death. And when he observed this roaming aesthetic who had kind of given up life, given up worldly possessions, he decided that that was kind of the path that he would like to take in order to help the people rather than kind of rule over this misery and suffering that he observed outside the palace. He decided that he wanted to seek answers to these questions so that he could help people. And at the time he was married, he had a young child And he kind of leaves in the middle of the night because he knew that if he picked up his child and kissed the child or said goodbye to his wife, that they could kind of pull him and hold him into the palace. So he leaves in the middle of the night on this quest, on this journey, ultimately taking a six-year pursuit of self-discovery. Initially, he starts studying with teachers for the first two years of this six-year pursuit. And these teachers were teaching him to do horrible things to the body, thinking that that was going to train the mind. And he was doing things like hanging himself upside down from trees. He was starving himself. He was laying on beds of nails and all of these things that people thought were ways to train the mind was to disparage the body. And that was somehow going to get to this mental state of enlightenment. 
But after two years, he realized that his mind wasn't in any better condition than it was before when he was in the palace. So he left on his own and went out into the forest and started to just kind of do self-reflection and meditation. And he started realizing these teachings and his mind started becoming more and more stable, more and more content, more and more peaceful. And after his four years of being in the forest, a total of six years on this pursuit, he realizes that he discovered the teachings gradually over time that lead to a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. So he returns back to the place where he was learning and he encounters four of his previous students or previous uh, classmates and one of his old teachers. And the five of them were kind of laughing at him and joking because he started eating food in his body, what had meat and it was healthy because he realized that disparaging the body isn't going to help the mind. So when he came back, they were still disparaging the body. So they started laughing at him and joking him and mocking him, thinking that he had given up on this pursuit to enlightenment. But in fact, he had discovered the answers on his own And he sits down and he touches the earth and animals come. He kind of calls the animals and kind of, you know, displays this one miracle. And at that point, he got the attention of these five aesthetics and they start to listen to him and understand what he has to teach. And he delivers what's called the Four Noble Truths, which are four individual statements, which explains the problem that the mind has the cause of that problem, how to eliminate it, and then the path forward of how to completely eliminate discontent feelings such as sadness, irritation, frustration, guilt, shame, boredom, loneliness, shyness, jealousy, resentment. And he knew that he had discovered these truths because he had eliminated those unwholesome mental states or those feelings from the mind So therefore, he could observe it for himself that he had acquired this mental state. And his teachings aren't based on belief. They're based on learning truths that when you learn them and implement them in practice with guidance of a teacher, you can individually and independently observe these same truths, training the mind to attain this mental state of enlightenment, where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And that's one of the beauties is that there is no belief in his teachings because belief doesn't liberate the mind. It's only when you observe the teachings for yourself that you see the wisdom in the teachings. In this new wisdom, the mind functions differently in life and it becomes kind of first nature that you now function in the world through these truths and through this wisdom. Wow. That's amazing. And when when you talk about walking the path with Buddha, what does that look like? What is it like to walk the path with Buddha? So the Buddha provided teachings and guidance that would help people learn how to eliminate these discontent feelings from the mind so that you can attain this mental state of enlightenment. And Learning the teachings and practicing the teachings is walking the path. And he never tried to use guilt or shame or fear in order to motivate people to learn and practice his teachings. Because 
one of the whole goals of his teachings is to eliminate guilt and fear and shame from the mind. So he didn't use that in order to motivate people to learn and practice his teachings. He just offered the teachings as guidance and whoever choose to learn with him and experience the results of enlightenment, then they would experience it for themselves. And a Buddha is a self-awakened individual who has awakened the mind to this mental state of enlightenment without the help of any teachers. So they understand the teachings very, very clearly with deep, profound wisdom. When a Buddha arises or awakens the mind in the world, he looks just like every other human being. So people don't necessarily know he's a Buddha unless they actually learn and practice his teachings and observe the quality of their mind significantly improving. Because during the Buddha's lifetime, there was many teachers who claimed that they had attained enlightenment, but it was known later that they hadn't because they would still experience frustration or anger or hostility or things like this. And as the Buddha taught, more and more and more people realized that he was in fact enlightened and as part of his teachings, he lays out this path. It's called the Eightfold Path. It's eight individual steps that you practice all at one time. You learn them with guidance of a teacher and you practice them. And when you practice these teachings on your own personal choice, then the mind gradually starts to move closer and closer to this enlightened mental state where the mind becomes permanently peaceful, permanently calm, permanently serene, permanently content, and permanent joy. And you can observe this for yourself because you know what it feels like to be frustrated or angry or irritated or sad or lonely or bored because you've experienced these feelings in the past. So when your mind moves towards this enlightened mental state, you can observe it for yourself that the condition of the mind is improving and thus your life improves as well because everything you experience is experienced through the mind. So everything you do in life, whether it's talking with your partner, talking with your children, your professional life, coworkers, anything you do in the world all gets experienced through the mind. So when you train the mind through his teachings and the mind doesn't hold on to these feelings of sadness and anger and boredom and so forth, we call it discontentedness, then you can observe it for yourself. There's no, you know, believe, 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 and hoping that when you get to death, you've made a lot of good choices. You can actually learn the path, make those good choices now, and you can see now that your mind in the condition of your life is improving. So you get to see the results of your good, wholesome decisions right now. Yeah, that goes back to the mind is a powerful thing. Our minds are so powerful. You said several things that leads back to your mind, being able to get to that level. The, the mind is essentially what we all function through, right? And all the teachings of Gautama Buddha relate to training the mind. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're training the mind to be peaceful, calm, serene and content with joy, then you can exist in the world in a very peaceful 
and compassionate way where you have good, healthy relationships with all the people around you. And because this is the way you exist in the world, then that's what you experience. So by you being peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, more and more and more, the people around you become the same way and they treat you that way as well. So if you're going to be hostile and aggressive towards people, then that's what you're going to get back. Or if you're uh, lying or, or stealing or you're doing horrible things in the world, then that's... When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. That's what's going to come back to you. This is the natural law of gamma, or most people use the word karma but it's just a different language. I use the word gamma. It's essentially cause and effect or action and result. It's essentially the result of our decisions. So if I made a decision to go out and kill somebody, for example, then harmful things are going to happen to me. You know, the police are going to be looking for me. Maybe the family of the person that I murdered would be looking for me. And even if I got away with it somehow, there's still going to be some amount of guilt or shame associated with it that kind of damages the mind. So the good, wholesome choices we make are provided to us through Gautama Buddha's teachings. He never tells you what to do or how to speak or exactly how to solve a problem, but he gives you kind of underlying guidance that you can work with, almost like a way of life, or some people call it a philosophy. You know, Gautama Buddha's teachings aren't a religion the way that I see it. It's a way of life. And when you learn these these guidance and these guidance of teachings, then it can kind of guide your life. But you're the one that's always making personal choices in order to move your life and move your mind closer and closer to this enlightened mental state. So Buddha is a status that people want to attain is basically it, which is enlightenment. Not exactly. What a Buddha is, is a Buddha is a self-awakened human being who discovers the teachings that awaken the mind to this enlightened mental state on their own. They discover the teachings by themselves. And then they share those self-discovered teachings with lots of other people in order for them to also awaken the mind during the Buddha's lifetime and after he dies. So Gautama Buddha, or the Buddha, 
he lived 2,500 years ago. He discovered these teachings. He shared them with other people. More and more people became enlightened during his lifetime. And then when he died, the teachings continued on all of these years later, 2,500 years later, and people continue to become enlightened nowadays from his actual teachings. So that's what a Buddha is, a self-awakened Buddha or a self-awakened person who discovers the teachings and shares them during their lifetime and then leaves behind those teachings for others to become awakened after they die. A, so, so that means it could be anyone that could become a Buddha that has those teachings and then teaches it to other people. A Buddha is a very unique individual and the last one existed over 2,500 years ago. Oh. He's a, he's a human being. He's a teacher. He's never asked to be worshipped or praised or idolized in any way. He was just interested in sharing the teachings with other people to awaken the mind. Once you learn the teachings of a Buddha, you can become enlightened, but you won't be a Buddha. You will be an enlightened person. Okay. Or an, or an enlightened being. Got it. Okay, you could tell where I was going with that. I was like, oh, so that means like you can become a Buddha. There's a lot of different traditions in the world that have spawned out of the Buddhist teachings. There's three primary traditions. There's one that's called the Theravada tradition, the Mahayana tradition, the Vajrayana tradition, and then there's various offshoots of that. And in these other traditions, they have kind of morphed the teachings and changed the teachings. So there are some people that say to you that you can become a Buddha, but that's not what the Buddha actually taught. Oh, okay. <laughs> so people have changed the teachings. It's only in the Theravada tradition. This is the tradition that I practice. The Theravada tradition, what Theravada means is teachings of the elders. And it's considered to be the form of the teachings that existed closest to the lifetime of the Buddha. So the people in the community and the, the practitioners and teachers in this tradition are interested in maintaining the teachings as close to the form that the Buddha actually taught during his lifetime. So we describe a Buddha as a self-awakened individual who attains enlightenment on his own and then shares those teachings with the wider community so more and more people can become enlightened. Once you become enlightened, you can be an enlightened being, but you're not a Buddha. These mm -hmm. other traditions, they will tell you that you're a Buddha, but this is not true. This is not what Gautama Buddha actually taught. He taught that you can become enlightened, but you wouldn't be considered a Buddha. Okay. Thank you for clearing that up. Yeah, that's part of what these teachings are about, is helping to clear things up and help people's mind to understand the teachings very clearly because of impermanence, you know, everything's always constantly changing. What the Buddha taught 2,500 years ago and what some people practice today has gotten far away from his teachings. This is impermanence. And one of my goals is to share the teachings in the way that the Buddha did so that more and more people can understand very clearly what were his actual teachings 
And what are the teachings that lead to this enlightened mental state or awakening of the mind? Because as you learn them and you practice them, you will be able to see for yourself that the condition of your mind is gradually improving. Wow, that's awesome. I'm going to take you back a little bit. You said that you were born in Washington, D.C. How did you end up going all the way on the other side of the world? Yeah, so I was born in Washington, D.C. I grew up in Southern Maryland and went to college in Maryland on the Eastern Shore. And then I pretty much started my professional life in Northern Virginia. And then I traveled all over the U.S. And growing up, you know, I had a lot of difficulties in life, a lot of challenges. And I experienced a lot of misery, a lot of discontentness of mind. And as I was growing up, I just always kind of felt there was a better way to conduct life, but I never understood what that was. But I just had this feeling that there was a better way of living than what I was experiencing in life in Washington, D.C., in Maryland, in Virginia, in the household that I was brought up in. I just felt like there's got to be a better way. And all throughout my life, I had a lot of difficulties. I, you know, even got into trouble when I was a juvenile with the law. And, you know, I dabbled in, you know, experimental drugs and alcohol, just like everyone else, pretty much, you know, different things that I had done. And I saw the negative events and consequences as part of that. But once I started to kind of decide that I needed to move in a different direction, I was about 17 or 18 years old. And for one reason or another, I ended up having a lot of friends from Asia. My first friend was from Indonesia. And I got really, really close to her family over the period of about eight years. And they pretty much adopted me as a son. You know, she was kind of one of my first really deep girlfriends growing up. And I observed in this household that the family members were very supportive of each other, very encouraging to each other. It was a very different type of household than what I grew up in. I grew up in a lot of hostility and aggression and anger and things like this. But this Asian family was very calm, very centered, very supported. They did things together as a family. It was really wonderful to see this Asian culture from Indonesia. Then after I kind of moved away from that family, I started spending time with Filipinos. And for one reason or another, I just ended up around a lot of Filipino people. And I noticed the generosity in taking care of people and the family bonds and the respect and admiration they had for their parents and each other and the friendship bonds. And these were things that I was not familiar with growing up whatsoever. It wasn't the type of life that I grew up in. And then I started spending time with Vietnamese people and Chinese people and people from Burma or Miramar. And everyone used to always tell me, you know, based on your personality, you would really love it if you met Thai people and you were around Thai people. And at the time, I didn't even know what Thailand was. I thought they were mispronouncing Taiwan because I was only 18 or 19 years old. And I said, you mean Taiwan? Like, what do you mean? He said, no, Thailand. And I just kind of like brushed it off and just kind of kept moving through life. But I kept being around Asian people all the time. You know, I was into Kung Fu and learning Wushu Kung Fu and Shaolin Kung Fu and just always around Asian people and Asian food. 
And lo and behold, in 2001, I met a person from Thailand. And I was like, wow, this is a real place. Here's a person from Thailand. And she was just finishing up a job in America. She had one more week left on her visa and she had no job, no money, no place to live. She really was interested in staying in America, but she didn't have anywhere to go and no money. So I invited her to come back to my place where I lived because I lived alone. And I said, you know, you can stay here and I'll help you. And over the period of a few weeks, I helped her and she uh, slowly got a job and, you know, improved her life. And I eventually actually married her. She was my first wife. So I came to Thailand the first time with her. You know, I asked her to bring me here in December of 2002. And when I came here, my eyes were just completely wide open and I was dumbfounded about the differences between the USA and what I had learned growing up versus what I experienced in Thailand. Once again, I saw people coming together, encouraging each other, supporting each other, being peaceful with each other, helping one another, things that I had never really observed in the communities that I was in in America. And this really struck me as being monumental. And I felt like I discovered something really special, but I didn't quite understand what it was at that time. And through the three weeks that I spent in Thailand, I discovered Thai massage. And I brought that back to America with me and started opening up Thai massage centers in the Northern Virginia area, right outside of Washington, D.C. And as part of sharing Thai massage, Through Thai massage spas and eventually a school, I started hiring Thai people. About half of my staff was Thai. And I started teaching Thai massage, but I was also teaching Thai culture and Buddhism as part of the teachings. So people would show up for a class in Thai massage, but rather than just teach the techniques, I was also teaching them Thai culture and Thai Buddhism to go along with it because this technique had come out of this very rich culture that I felt like they needed to have a dose of the culture and the traditions of Buddhist teachings to go with their practices of Thai massage. And the more time that I was doing this, I was spending more and more time in Thailand, more and more time around Thai people. I started becoming part of the Thai community in the greater Washington, D.C. area, spending more and more time around Thai people. And I just kept observing more and more about their habits, about their traits, about the way that they care for each other. And I started to adopt these on my own. And as I did, and I realized that America wasn't the place that I would like to live long term. So in 2005, I closed all of my businesses and brought my family with me to America. And this is my second wife. And we've been married now for 12 or 13 years. We have a son who's seven and a half years old and she's Thai and he's, you know, half and half Thai and American. And in 2005, when I came to live here, this is when things really opened up for me because now I wasn't just kind of dabbling in Thai culture and Thai traditions while living in America. I was engrossed in Thai culture and living amongst Thai people and Buddhist practitioners so that I could observe very closely 
how the Thai people interacted with each other and what they're actually doing as part of their culture. And what I discovered is that there's multiple generations here of countless centuries of people who have been learning and practicing these teachings to peacefully coexist together as one community. You know, the people here in Thailand, they consider each other their brothers and sisters, even if they're a stranger. They treat each other peacefully, kindly, warmly, with generosity, making sure that people are taken care of. They help each other. They have respect for elders. They have respect for the children. They include the children in their life. Do they, do they have room for me and my family out there? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You can come. Thailand loves it here. You can get a visa so easily to come here. But yeah, I mean, Thailand is just a wonderful place. I mean, they've, it's the truth. That's what we talk about the Buddhist teachings. We say the Buddhist teachings are the truth. Because when you learn them, they're not based on belief. You see the benefits and the results for yourself. So if you come here to Thailand, they call it the land of smiles, right? And that's because people are joyful because they're peacefully coexisting together. And this is how you know that the teachings work because you see the people having a very loving, kind, compassionate society with each other. And it's not this aggression and hostility and hatred towards each other. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You mentioned that it's Buddhist teachings are not about pumping fear into people. And it's not about really what you would say is a religious type. Did you grow up having the traditional Christianity in your life? My family never asked me or pushed any type of religion on me. They never, my family didn't even have me baptized. I did it myself later. So my family didn't encourage or push any type of religion on me whatsoever. They just left it open and kind of I was on my own. So because I was always interested, I've gone to every brand of church you could ever imagine, whether it's Methodist or Baptist or Lutheran or Mormon or Catholic or all of these different churches. And I was exploring all the different teachings and At one time, I did dive pretty deeply into Catholicism, and I've even, you know, learned a little bit about Islam tradition and Judaism, you know, with Jewish families and things like this. So I was really exploring throughout my younger years lots of different religions, so to speak, and at one time, you know, kind of dove into Catholicism quite a bit. But 
from my experience, all of these teachings are based on belief. You are essentially taught teachings and you believe them and you never know whether it's actually the truth or not until you die. That's when you get the answers. And at that point, it's almost kind of too late, right? <laughs> because <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't know what's going to happen to you. It's only the Buddhist teachings that I discovered that you can actually know the truth right now because they're not based on belief. You can actually observe the truth in the teachings, and then you can see the quality of the mind gradually improving as you learn and practice these teachings more and more. And then what I've discovered through learning the teachings of the Buddha so closely is that all of these other traditions are actually essentially teaching the same thing, but in a different way. So let's take Jesus Christ, for example, because I imagine a lot of your listeners have exposure to Jesus Christ's teachings. His teachings at a very rudimentary level are very similar to Gautama Buddha's teachings. So Jesus taught not killing, not stealing, not having sexual misconduct, not lying, not taking substances that would cause heedlessness. He talked about being loving and kind to your neighbor or having compassion or loving kindness. He taught a lot of these same teachings, but he only lived for, or I'm sorry, he only actually taught for about one to three years before they killed him. So he didn't really have much time to kind of impart his teachings and make sure people truly understood what it took to get to this destination of the Holy Spirit that he talked about. Where Gautama Buddha, after his enlightenment, he taught for 45 years. He had plenty of time to make sure that people truly understood his teachings and lots and lots of people got to this mental state of enlightenment. But if you look at what people understand of the Holy Spirit and what people understand as enlightenment, it's essentially the same thing. So Jesus was offering this path to this Holy Spirit that some people understand and can attain it, but it's not very readily available because most of it's based on belief. Where And that's just because Jesus didn't have as much time to teach as Gautama Buddha did where Gautama Buddha laid out this very clear, concise, direct path that someone can attain this mental state of enlightenment. I would say 99.9% of my students are actually Christian. They've actually come from a Christian background. And through learning the teachings of Gautama Buddha, they actually start to understand Jesus's teachings even more because this mental state that the Buddha called enlightenment and Jesus Christ calls the Holy Spirit, to me, it's a human phenomenon where we can move the mind in a direction of this more awareness and more enlightenment, where you eliminate those discontent feelings and attain peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy permanently. So Jesus was attempting to do a lot of the same things as the Buddha, and they would have actually been best friends had they lived during the exact same time. But the goals of these two individuals were completely different. Gautama Buddha's goal was to share the teachings based on truths that liberate the mind. Jesus' objective was to convince the entire world that there's only one God. Because prior to 
Jesus, people believed in multiple gods. And through all the miracles that Jesus performed, he pretty much convinced the vast majority of the world that there's just one God if people believe in God. But the beauty of Gautama Buddha's teachings is you can have a belief in God if you want, but it's not required. Gautama Buddha never tried to either prove or disprove God's existence. He focused everybody on learning and practicing teachings to liberate the mind to this enlightened mental state. I would honestly have to say that growing up as a child, we went from tons of different religions, and I learned that anything that was different, they shunned. And, you know, almost like, I don't know if put it down is the right word or or made it seem like it was a bad thing. And I do agree that a lot of it is in the mind. I think teaching people to understand the power of their mind and to get to a state where they understand, you know, sadness and anger and boredom and that you want to get to a place where you can. I totally get it. I might not be able to convey it back right now, but <laughs> starting to understand it. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And it's like, I believe that I understand it. So what you're describing that happens in some communities, but not all communities, is there's a certain faith practice or certain belief. And people feel like, okay, if you don't believe these same things, then you're not accepted in our community. This is what we call aversion or pushing people away, right? And this isn't what the Buddha taught. What the Buddha taught is being all-inclusive and open-minded and loving and kind and compassionate to all beings, even if they disagree, especially if they disagree with us. So if a community of people have certain beliefs and they kind of lock those beliefs in and expect everyone to follow and do those same things, it's almost as a way of kind of protecting what they understand and not allowing anything else to kind of open up the mind. And oftentimes in various communities, there's, you know, Methodist, Lutheran, a Presbyterian, Catholic, Islam, Buddhist, Hindu, all of these different traditions start to kind of fight in war over who's right and who's mm-hmm. wrong. Exactly. Right? Yes. And, and what I'm sharing in my teachings is that, everybody's pretty much right because what our goal is is to peacefully coexist with all beings peacefully and all these teachers whether it's the hindu teachings the teachings of gotama buddha jesus christ prophet muhammad or any that you want to put in there all of these teachers and all of these traditions are essentially guiding humanity to three important goals Those goals are universal love of all beings, do no harm, and be a good moral person. These are essentially the underlying teachings of all of these traditions. How Hinduism describes that, they describe it. How Buddha described it, he described it. How Jesus Christ describes it, he describes it that way. And how Prophet Muhammad and others describe it, they describe it in their way. But All of these traditions are essentially guiding people in humanity to those same three goals, universal love of all beings, do no harm, and be a good moral person. What I'm sharing is that Gautama Buddha described it in such a clear and concise way that you can discover that his teachings are truth 
right now. It's not based on belief. And by learning his teachings, what people say is it actually makes them a better Christian or it makes them a better Hindu or it makes them a better Muslim because they're actually learning these natural laws of existence. And since Gautama Buddha never asked to be worshipped, never considered himself a god, he didn't call himself a messiah or a savior, it's very open for people to learn his teachings and incorporate them into what they're already doing in their current faith practice. So rather than sit around and fight in war over who's right and who's wrong, what I'm sharing is that we can all learn these teachings together and we can all learn how to peacefully coexist in a more loving, kind, and compassionate way where we acknowledge that all of these teachers are essentially guiding humanity to the same goals, but they just use different language and different cultural examples in order to explain those teachings. I love it. <laughs> that's, yeah. good, that's good stuff. I absolutely love it. Because at the end of the day, our goal is to all peacefully coexist together on this planet. If we continue to war and fight and argue and bicker and be hostile toward each other, we're just going to get more of the same, all the same stuff that we've been encountering. War, you know, drugs, fighting, hostility, greed, people taking advantage of each other, you know, people scamming each other. That's where we're headed in this world. And what I'm sharing is that that is not the goal. The goal is for us to all peacefully coexist in a more loving, caring, compassionate way where we share with each other and we help each other. I absolutely love it. Do you meditate? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you you have to meditate. There's no other way. <laughs> meditation is the foundation of your practice. Mm. You can't meditate your way to enlightenment. So if you if all you ever did was meditate, you can't get to enlightenment. But also, you can't get to enlightenment without meditation. And for people who are familiar with prayer, it's kind of... The, you know, if you think about if somebody only ever prayed, but then they went outside and they talked bad to people and they were hostile and aggressive and stole from people, you're not getting into this wonderful destination that you think is heaven. So it's the same way with meditation. If all you ever did was meditate and then you went outside and you were rude or hostile or aggressive with people, you're not going to get to the enlightened mind. So you need a meditation practice, and that's where teachers come in to help guide you and teach you how to meditate. But that's not the only thing that you need to learn in order to attain enlightenment. Because we know that there's eight steps. Right. One of those steps is meditation. It's called right concentration. It's the very last step. So what we've got in the world is we've got a lot of people that are understanding that meditation is helpful. And this is why you can see the truth for yourself. When you meditate, you see that your mind becomes more peaceful and calm. So you can see that truth for yourself. But the problem with that, or not really a problem, but where we need to move people towards is now that more and more people are seeing meditation is beneficial, we need them to see that that's not the only thing. That yes, you need to meditate, and there's a certain way that Gautama Buddha taught to meditate, but there's a whole lot of other teachings that you need to go along with the meditation in order to practice on a daily basis. That's why I recall my book, Developing a Life Practice 
the path that leads to nibbana because meditation is just part of this life practice that we use in order to train the mind in the direction of enlightenment and everyone needs to do that but there's a whole host of other teachings that are part of this path that need to be learned and practiced in order for you to attain enlightenment what's the name of the book again it's called developing a life practice the path that leads to nibbana and nibbana is just another way of saying enlightenment do you have a copy of it where i could we could see it oh sure Right here. Oh, all right. So I give this away for free. You can actually download it with a link. Or some people prefer to have a Kindle edition or a printed edition. So I did put it up on Amazon recently. And I put the minimum price that Amazon would kind of allow. So you can get it on Amazon as a Kindle or printed. Or if you're okay with reading from a PDF or even downloading the PDF and just go print it yourself then you can get it for free with the links that I provide on our website and Facebook group and things like that. Wow, that's awesome. I mentioned there that you can download the PDF and print it yourself, but I think it's actually more cost effective to print it through Amazon because I remember printing things in America and other places and it can sometimes be kind of pricey. The price that Amazon gives is quite low because they print them on such large volume. Oh, okay. Cost-effective is always a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I've seen a video where you were talking about how to begin your meditation. Yes, that's right. I teach meditation and all the other teachings to help you get to enlightenment. Yeah, I think that your YouTube channel was called... Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Yeah, I, I, I name everything the same way. So if you're looking for our YouTube channel our podcast, our Facebook group, our website, everything is called Daily Wisdom Space hyphen Space, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Well, I did subscribe to your YouTube channel and you do lives. You actually go on live. You do different teachings or have different teachings that you are offering. Yes, right now I go live on Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Thai time. So you can look at whatever time that is in your local time zone. And you can tune in live through YouTube or Facebook. And I teach online. Or you can also join our Zoom where we have a Zoom login where people join there. And essentially what I'm doing is each week I'm going chapter by chapter in this book so that people can at home be reading the chapter. They can join the online classes to ask questions. They can ask questions in the Facebook group. And all of this is recorded for our YouTube channel and our podcast. So if for some reason, because of impermanence, you can't join live every single session, it's always recorded so that you can kind of self-study with guidance, the book and all the other resources through YouTube and podcasts to actually learn and progress and start practicing these teachings. And I teach thousands of people around the world and more and more and more people are making lots of progress. In fact, right before our discussion here, one of the students that had been studying with me for a few months contacted me and was sharing all the amazing benefits that they're seeing in their life through learning and practicing these teachings. Well, that's awesome. That's yeah, good stuff. 
it just really works. And what you've got to do is you just got to decide that, okay, I'm going to set aside some time each week to read this book, to listen to the podcast or the YouTube channel or the online classes. And I'm going to gradually learn these teachings and I'm going to gradually implement them in my life, which includes meditation. And as you do so, you will slowly, gradually see the condition of the mind improve and you will see your life just get better and better and better. It's just really simple and straightforward that it's not so super complex. It's just really straightforward to learn and practice these teachings. And when you have guidance to do so, then as you're having questions or you need clarification from the resources that you're using at home, you've got a way to do that through the Facebook group or through the live online sessions, or oftentimes students even contact me privately for discussions or chat or something like that. So the book is a teachable book. Were, were you writing in it like to answer questions like that or? What I did in the book is each chapter shares the teachings with you. So you can learn the teachings and then you can apply them in your life and see that they're actually working. But in addition to the reading, I put at the end of each chapter, I put the links for YouTube videos, for podcasts, and a little quiz just to help you confirm your learning and know that you've learned what it is that you need to learn. So through this book, it's like kind of an interactive book. There's reading, but then there's videos, podcasts, and quizzes where you can actually ensure that you're deepening your learning beyond just the reading itself. Oh, I love it. Yeah, and I'm actually working on an audio book right now here at a studio in Chiang Mai. I've got a sound engineer that we're recording this book into an audio book. Oh, that's really nice. For the people that yeah. don't like to read, you know, or don't have time to do that, they're able to have an audio. I love it. So in your book, you outline the eight steps we would need to follow. Yeah, you. it starts out with the first chapter being called Universal Teachings, which essentially goes through and kind of shows to you how Jesus and Prophet Muhammad and the Buddha and others are essentially teaching towards the same goal, to help humanity move in this better direction. So that first chapter is kind of like a nice bridge to help you understand how all of these teachers are really kind of related. And I also share about how the Buddhist teachings are not a religion. Because to me, religion is rites, rituals, ceremonies, worship, kind of a centralized organization, collects teachings and distributes those and kind of ask everybody to follow those teachings. But that's not what the Buddhist teachings are. There is no centralized organization that collects the teachings and shares them with everybody. There are no rites, rituals, ceremonies, worships. It's only individual study to learn and practice the teachings. So the book then progresses from this bridge to help people see that there is no belief there are no rites, rituals, and worship, and all the teachings that you've been learning in your life are kind of guiding you towards the same goals, it moves into subsequent chapters where it starts to unravel and lay out the teachings of the Buddha in a way that you can learn them and then apply them in your life so that you can see the truth for yourself that they actually work. And the Eightfold Path is kind of the heart of that book. And it really 
expands for you what is your daily practice, your life practice about how to practice things like harmlessness, where you don't, you're not interested in causing harm to other beings, or you practice things like right speech, where you learn how to train your mind to speak in a beneficial way, not specific words to use, but just general guidance. You will choose your own words and how to interact with people and things like this. But the Buddhist teachings kind of provide you this guidance of how you can speak in a way that doesn't cause harm to other beings in a more friendly, loving, and caring way. And by doing this, you will see your relationships and your personal and professional life blossom. So yes, the Eightfold Path and many other teachings are shared in this book to really help awaken you to these natural laws of existence, where once you learn these natural laws, then you can function in the world more peacefully, more you know, kindly. And I oftentimes will relate these natural laws to the natural law of gravity. If you think about the natural law of gravity, it's a natural law. You can't really see it. You can't really touch it, but you know it's there. It's a natural law. But when you were first born, you weren't aware of this natural law. You didn't understand gravity. All you understood as a one-year-old or two-year-old or three-year-old is every time you stood up, your legs got wobbly and you kept falling down. Or when you put your toys in a certain place, they kept falling down and breaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and over, over time, your mind gradually awakened to this natural law of gravity. And you started realizing, I got to make my legs stronger so that I can walk. I've got to place these toys in certain places so they don't get broken. And you gradually learned how to interact in this world with this natural law of gravity. And now, as an adult, you can move all throughout the world, you can fly all over the world, and you can conduct yourself in a very peaceful and harmonious way because you truly understand this natural law of gravity very well. So there's natural laws like the natural law of gamma that people can't see, they can't touch, they're not aware of it. Their mind hasn't awakened to this natural law in other natural laws. And because you're not aware of these natural laws, you're functioning in the world and you keep falling down. You keep falling down, feeling sad, feeling frustrated, feeling lonely, feeling bored, guilty, shameful, or what have you. You feel jealous, your relationships deteriorate, and you just keep having problems over and over because you haven't yet studied and understand these natural laws. So what the Buddhist teachings do is help you understand or awaken to these natural laws. And because they're natural laws and they exist in the world, this is why you can discover them and learn about them and practice these teachings and see that they're truth because you can see it for yourself. There's no belief whatsoever. He's just making you aware of the natural laws. Then you can independently observe those truths for yourself because they exist in the world and you can kind of test them to see if they're actually true or not. And then let me add this, by you learning and practicing these teachings, you gradually see that you can exist in the world more peacefully, more serenely, more calmly with joy, just like now that you understand the natural law of gravity, you can exist in the world more peacefully. You don't fall down every two steps like you did when you were a two-year-old child. 
because you now have learned about that natural law of gravity, you can function in the world much in a much better way. So same thing, when you learn about these natural laws that the Buddha shares with you, you will be able to function in the world much more peacefully and harmoniously with the people around you. Wow, that's good. I think it's good stuff. Yeah, it really is. And it's been really well received. I've been teaching since 2005, some form of these teachings, but it's only been in the last kind of year or so that I've had the time to dedicate to creating these resources. And that was one of the reasons in closing down the businesses and moving to Thailand is now I don't need to make money. I don't need to charge people for this guidance and these resources. I can give it all away for free. And of course, people make donations to me and they help me and support my life. And I live just kind of a little meager existence. $300, $500 a month is kind of all I need to exist here in Thailand. So I can do these things for free and just help people to learn and practice. And you can see the benefits for yourself through learning with these resources. And you have someone to guide you who has no other interest other than to help you. I have no interest whatsoever. I have no expectations, no requirements, no obligations. I don't expect anything from you. I'm here to share and to guide you if you choose, but that's up to you whether you choose to learn and practice. But I expect nothing from you and make these resources all available to you for free. Wow. Well, I was looking at your website and it says here that you have courses and retreats. Yes, that's right. Here in Thailand, there's various temples that I can go teach in, and it's really wonderful learning inside of a temple because it just creates such a a wonderful mood. So I will hold classes and retreats where people can come and learn kind of an in-depth period of time, whether it's five days or 10 days or however long they like, they can actually live here in Thailand very inexpensively and actually learn live with me in classes and retreats. So there's actually people from all over the world who will learn about me and what I'm doing. They will contact me and then they will come stay here and then learn more in an in-depth, intense period of learning and kind of incorporate these teachings as part of their life. And the beauty in that is they're surrounded by other practitioners here in Chiang Mai, Thailand and throughout Thailand who are also practicing these teachings. So you can see what a society of people looks like that is practicing these teachings. Then once you kind of load up the gas tank, so to speak, you can go back to your life wherever that is and you can continue to learn through these teachings online with all the resources that I share. But then you've kind of absorb these teachings in such a way here in Thailand that it's much easier for you to integrate them back into your life in whatever part of the world that you might live. So if you would like to come here and learn in person, you can contact me and there's opportunities for you to do that as well. But if for some reason you can't come to Thailand, then that's why I offer the online teaching and all the resources that I have online. Oh, okay. That's nice. I love that everything has the same name because you're absolutely correct. It's hard to, you're not going to get confused. It's easy to find you on every platform that you are on, the podcast, Facebook, YouTube, and your website, all the same name. So it makes it really easy. 
And the website is user-friendly where you just go there and you can see online learning, which is really popular right now here with us in the States. People that thought they would never take online courses are now like, it's not that bad because we were all forced to do that. A lot of online businesses are really doing well here. And so, yeah, I love it. The fact that you can go there and and then I do see where you're able to contact you through the website and it has teachers. So yeah, you guys got to definitely check it out. It's daily wisdom hyphen walking the path with the Buddha. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yes, then, that's right. Do you have family here in the States that go to visit you in Thailand or is everybody there? My family that was that I'm part of in terms of my American family has never come to Thailand, but they're very familiar with what I'm involved in because when I was in America, I set up this almost Thai environment, even though I was living in Northern Virginia, it was very much engrossed with Thai culture. So my families met my wife and my son and they understanding that I'm practicing these teachings and they just never have come to Thailand, but they understand that David's doing all of these things from Thailand and has been around Asian people for pretty much my entire life since I was 17, 18 years old. I wonder you might come to Thailand to visit. I think that it's a very rich culture peaceful mindset. It seems like a place where you definitely can practice mindfulness and just be present. And it just sounds like a great place to come and visit. One of the beauties about Thailand is that it was never colonized by a Western power. So places like Laos had French, places like Vietnam had French, other places like Indonesia was colonized by the Dutch the Filipino or Philippines was colonized by the Spanish. You know, we go through all the different Asian cultures, especially in Southeast Asia, that were colonized by a Western power. But in Thailand, they were never colonized by any Western power. So what you get is you get this very rich and in-depth culture that has been intact for many, many, many centuries. And when you step into Thailand, it's like visiting another world. It's literally like heaven on earth for me because people are so peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. People are taking care of each other, peacefully coexisting with each other. But yes, you've got you know this amazing food. You've got 
healing arts, like various massage and traditional healing arts, herbal medicine. You've got rich fabrics and intricate designs with clothes and jewelry and things like this. You get very artsy type things. You get lots of music, all these indigenous cultures. You get this really rich culture that's still intact and has fairly pretty much been untouched. Of course, you know, there's mobile phones here, there's cars, there's there's modern conveniences of internet and things like that. But the underlying part of what goes on from day to day has this very rich and intact culture that you can really touch in a very tangible way. And Chiang Mai, out of all of Thailand, Chiang Mai is the one place that has that culture the most intact throughout the entire country. Are there televisions there? Surely, surely. We have have all that stuff. (laughs) We have all, I I actually have fiber optic internet, you know, to my house. So there's all those modern conveniences, but what you get is you just get people, you know, if you think about when we were cave people, right? When we were cave people, we just were interested in kind of peacefully coexisting together. Right, we knew that we weren't the biggest, baddest beings on the earth. There were all these dinosaurs roaming around that could gobble us up in a heartbeat, and it wasn't like, "Hey, come check out my cave. I got these beautiful new couch and these beautiful curtains. Come look at how big and bad I am." No, we all kind of band together as cave people, and we went out and we foraged in the forest, and we tried to put food together for each other, and we helped each other through life. That's essentially what we did as cave people. We shared supplies, shared resources. We band together and helped each other survive in this big, horrible world that had these beasts that were gobbling humans up like crazy here and there. So that's the way we were during caveman times or cave people times. What's happened over time is we've gotten further and further away from that where the ego is kicked in, where arrogance has kicked in and hostility and we kind of compare each other. Everybody's trying to one up each other. And now this world has become somewhat hostile where we don't kind of work with each other and help each other through life. But what you've got here in Thailand in this indigenous culture is you've got people living with modern conveniences But they're still living in that way of let's peacefully coexist with each other. Let's help each other. Let's understand that none of us are getting out of here alive. So while we're here together, let's figure out the ways that we can best peacefully coexist together. It doesn't mean that we all run around and try to make the most money and show each other how big and bad we are. That's not what Thailand's about. What Thailand is about is ensuring that everybody's taken care of and that we peacefully coexist together and we share just like we did during caveman days. And that's one of the the things that it's the underlying culture that I'm saying that you can touch and you can see is very much intact. Okay. So I feel like there's longevity there too, right? Because of the way of living, people live longer. Do you find that to be true or is that just like a myth? I'm not sure. I think if you look on the data, I think you would probably see that other cultures might live longer. You know, Thai people are 
laborers, a lot of them, right? They work in the rice fields, they plant, they are farmers, a lot of them. So they're out in the weather and the elements. So lifespan-wise, they might have a shorter lifespan. They also kind of rely on Western medicine a little bit less than Western cultures. So to Thai people, it's not about necessarily the longevity of your life. It's about the quality of your life. Mm-hmm. So while they are a very hardworking culture, they understand that they only work in order to sustain their life. They do just enough work to have supplies and resources to provide food, water, shelter, clothing, and medical care. Anything else beyond that is just kind of like a bonus. So you don't have a bunch of people that are running around just trying to be the richest person in the community they're actually just working enough to sustain their life because they understand that what real life is about is spending time with people you care about. So I would say in a given week, you know, Thai people might spend 20, 30, 40% of their time working, but the other 60, 80% of their time is with friends and family and enjoying this experience of life together. Where when I was in America, it was all about work, 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 make money, make money, make money, work, 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 make money, make money. Oh, family, I don't really have time for that. Work, work, work. Yeah, here it's like, do you see what type of car you're riding in? We have to pay for this car. These are leather seats. This is grain. This this is wood grain here. And so like, yeah, it's all materialistic. Not everyone but a lot of people living above their means and struggling because they're trying to keep up a lifestyle that they really can't afford. And it brings stress and, uh, and forgetting about, you know, self-care, forgetting about self-love, forgetting about practices like meditating and all of that mindfulness and, you know. Yeah. So what, so what these teachings do is they explain to you why that's happening. There's things in the mind essentially craving this mental longing and strong eagerness where the mind is longing for this self-image and the self-identity and this ego and this arrogance, right? And we're judging each other. And what these teachings are about is explaining that and eliminating it from the mind so that you're no longer constantly pursuing these cravings for wealth and materialism and possessions and realizing that you can actually be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. You don't need the Lamborghini. The Toyota is just fine. Or (laughs) maybe you just have a bicycle or you walk or whatever, you know, you, each person has to choose, you know, where, what they need in life. But if we constantly pursue a bigger and bigger house, a better and better car, you know, more and more wealth, this just sends you on a never-ending pursuit because as soon as you acquire a job that's making $50,000 a year, you want one that's 75, and then you want one that's 100, and then you want one that's 150, and then you want 200, and the mind just is pursuing this monetary wealth, thinking that if I just get that monetary wealth, I'll be happy. But then what happens is you get to that point, the mind's happy for a period of time, but then it's impermanent. The happiness leaves you. So people are running around chasing this happiness, but happiness is impermanent. It doesn't last forever. So chasing happiness is an unrealistic goal. 
it's not realistic because you can't maintain happiness permanently. But because every because everyone's chasing it and they're assigning material wealth and they think that that's what's going to create the happiness, they never get it. And they keep their cravings just keep growing and they never get to complete happiness because they're just chasing more and more unrealistic goals. Well, I found out that happiness is really a state of mind. I find that it's not anything that I can literally bring to me that's like what people would consider tangible. Like, okay, this, I bought my car. Yay, I'm so happy because guess what? Somebody might hit it. Those kind of Mm -hmm. things, they depreciate in time. And like, then you're going to want another car, like you were saying about the money and wanting to make more and more each year. So happiness is really a state of mind to me. It's like, it's about... I feel like our minds are really strong. I think, I believe in the power of our minds and I feel like it's important for us to learn, open our minds up and expand it and not just be stuck in the uh, one way. And it's about like changing our beliefs, tearing it down and questioning it and then like learning, growing, all of that. I believe that these things are, that it's something that we all should be doing. Everyone should be doing that. That's my personal opinion is that we should be wanting to be curious. You know, what you you just described is somebody who would understand and be able to get the results of these teachings very readily. Because what you just said is, I'm not going to put my happiness into this car. This car isn't what's going to create my happiness because that car is going to be gone someday. It's going to get wrecked. It's going to deteriorate. It's going to be gone. So if I latch my happiness onto this car, then I'm just setting myself up to fail. That's what the Buddhist teachings are all about because all of these things are impermanent. Money's impermanent, jobs impermanent, cars impermanent, boyfriend, girlfriend, children, husband, wives, everything is impermanent. Nothing is a steady, constant, fixed state. So if we latch our pleasant emotions and feelings or happiness onto these relationships and situations and incomes and possessions, then we're just setting ourselves up for failure because when those things are gone, the mind's going to be sad, lonely, or essentially discontent. So what the Buddhist teachings are about is going within and looking at the mind and training it to be Mm -hmm. peaceful, calm, serene, and content without necessarily placing the happiness on these external objects. But of course, we need transportation. We need relationships in our life. But if we latch our mind onto that, and that's our source of happiness, then someday we're going to be sad because those things are going to be gone. Those are the things that brings us depression and they bring us down because we're like, okay, I got this car, but then you see someone else with another one that's better. And you're like, I want that one instead, but I'm stuck in this five year, four year payment plan. I don't know. I just, I really get it that it's not about the materialistic things. It's about going within. It's about us really just expanding uh, and and just elevating our minds and becoming the best people that we can possibly be while here on this earth. It's interesting that you brought up depression because when I was in America, 
I was diagnosed with depression. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I was diagnosed with panic disorder. I was diagnosed with muscular sclerosis, all of these different conditions. And I never truly believed that I had those conditions, even though I followed the doctor's advice when I was living in America. For 24 years, I was on medications for these various things. I was even told that with the muscular sclerosis, I wouldn't be walking within a certain number of years. Well, once I came to live in Thailand and I started eating healthy food because everything here is naturally grown, started eating healthy food, got away from processed food, and I started learning these teachings and practicing these teachings, I was able to completely eliminate all the symptoms of depression, bipolar, panic disorders, muscular sclerosis. I eliminated all the medications and everything. I, I used to not even be able to sleep at night without taking various medications just to get to sleep because the mind was so discontent from all of the stress of life. But through learning and practicing these teachings, all of that was eliminated, not just the feelings in the mind, but the medications as well. I don't need any of that stuff anymore. And that's when I discovered that all of this medications that were on in the U.S. and all of these things that were taught are permanent conditions of the mind that the brain is defective and it's not producing the right chemicals and you need to take these medicines because your brain is defective, I realized that's not the truth. The truth is that the brain was functioning just fine. The problem was that I didn't understand the natural laws of existence and how to practice and train the mind to be calm and focused and peaceful. And now that I've done that, I don't need any of that medication and I am not mentally ill. I'm not sick like I was when I was in America. Did we get disconnected? Impermanence of Zoom. This is impermanence. Hi, can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Yay! I had a, I don't know what happened. You had me. I was with you the entire time and I went to talk. And I was like, hello, hello, you can't hear me. And I was just talking and I'm like, oh my gosh. But good thing I have another mic. I don't know what happened with this one. That's never happened to me before. And then I was like, is it Zoom? But then something popped up and said, it's your mic. So I was like, oh, okay, let me switch my mic really quick. Yeah, that's great. That That's impermanence, right? That nothing <laughs> is permanent, right? And that's a natural law. And that's why you can test these teachings of the Buddha. And then it sounds like you didn't get frustrated. You didn't get angry. You were just like, okay, well, I need to change my mic. And that's what a more awakened mind is going to do rather than hold on and, and get frustrated and angry and, and uh, you know, irritated and annoyed. It's just, okay, well, something's wrong here. Let me just fix it. That's what a more awakened mind is going to do. But see, then we have challenges where the mind, you know, something simple like a mic you just, okay, I'll change. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But then what happens is we have these deep emotional attachments to things like our parents or our loved ones, and they die. 
And that's when the mind becomes really sad and grieves because of that impermanence, because the attachment or the craving, the desire, this mental longing with a strong eagerness is more significant when it's somebody that's so close to us like that. With a mic, you know, you can get over it, you know, and no big deal. I'm not irritated. But yeah. when it's a person or a relationship, right? If you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend that separate, that's where the mind can become very sad. But it's the same problem in the mind that the mind wants permanence. It craves permanence. It expects everything to be permanent. And when it's not, that's when the mind becomes discontent. And the thing is, is that nothing is permanent, but the mind expects it to be. And this is why we cause our own discontentness. We actually cause it ourselves, And that's the beauty is that because we cause it ourselves, we can actually eliminate it. Through training the mind, we can eliminate discontentedness. We can eliminate sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, boredom, loneliness, guilt, shame, boredom, you know, resentment, jealousy. We can eliminate all of this stuff from the mind. With the help of your book, you help everyone to understand the teachings. Yeah, with learning these teachings and with guidance, because you're not a Buddha, right? A Buddha is going to do this all by themselves without any help. You need help because you're not a Buddha. Your audience needs help. So that's why you need resources. You need guidance. You need to ask questions. You wouldn't be able to just take this book, read it, and go become enlightened, you know, because you're, you're going to have questions and you can't ask questions to a book. So you will use the book, you'll use the podcast, you use the videos, you use the online classes, but you'll ask questions probably at different times to clarify your understanding and kind of confirm that you're headed in the right direction. And that's what it means to have guidance on the path or walking the path with the Buddha right? You're walking this eightfold path and you're getting guidance along the way. Well, I'm going to have to like get that book in my life. Yeah, you can <laughs> yeah, download I'm gonna it. Have to, I already followed your podcast and your YouTube channel and, um, and yeah, I'll definitely be, you know, lurking around and I don't even want to use the word lurking because that's almost like you're peeking without Come right on in. Come in, (laughs) sit down, have some food. Let's talk. Let's discuss. No, no lurking is needed. I know. Come right on in. Speaking of, now I'm going to do fun facts with you as we're getting ready to wrap up our show. Okay. What is it that you enjoy doing for fun? What do I do for fun? I teach people and see them improve their life. That's fun for me (laughs) because, you know, people come to me sometimes with suicidal thoughts, with depression, with problems in their home life, with their children, with their wife, with their professional life. And when they come to me, they're having all these problems and very easily and very simply, I can provide them this guidance and they gradually improve their life. And that's fun for me. I enjoy seeing that. And then, of course, spending time with my son. You know, we went to play miniature golf the other day. I uh, spend time with children in the village and neighbors in the village and things like this. But honestly, at this point in my life, I just really enjoy helping people and seeing them improve their life. It's so much fun. That's awesome. That's your purpose. So you have found your purpose. Absolutely. There's nothing else I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life than sharing these teachings with 
everyone who's interested to learn them. Wow, that's awesome. What's your favorite, your absolute favorite food? I was just talking about this with my wife yesterday. You remember probably Hamburger Helper or Manwich when I was growing up, (laughs) right? Yes, yes. But those things, like I learned, have certain chemicals and things that probably aren't good for me. Well, here in Thailand, they have something called Namprik Ong, right? And what I told my wife yesterday, as I said, this is essentially Hamburger Helper or Manwich but you use natural herbs and spices to create it. So I have a feeling that the originator of Manwich probably came to Thailand and tasted this and then (laughs) figured out how to create it and put it in a can. So in Thailand, I decided to be vegetarian or vegan as of about a year and a half, two years ago. And I found this restaurant that she makes all vegan food and she makes Namprik Ong, with herbs and spices and I don't know what she uses. She doesn't use meat. It's probably some mushrooms or something like that, but it is the most delicious, flavorful food that I have ever eaten. And all the Thai food here is very delicious. There's, it's like a taste explosion in your mouth when you put Thai food in your mouth. <laughs> oh, wow. That's awesome. That means I would yeah. absolutely love it. You know, we go to a place here and I'm sure it's probably not the same quality that is there. I think it's called Thai chili. Mm-hmm. And my husband loves Thai food. We go to a lot of Thai restaurants that they have here and, uh, He loves it. And so he introduced it to me and uh, he likes a lot of things that are not traditional for here in the States, you know. Yeah, Thai food's very healthy and very good and lots of herbs and spices. Are you into spices like where you would share what is your favorite spice? I don't cook anymore and I don't have to. Luckily, living in Thailand, you can get a meal here for about two or three dollars and eat very, very well for two or three dollars. And so my wife, even though she's a great cook and we were in America, she cooked a lot of food as a Thai person. She is a wonderful cook. But here we just buy food outside and we bring it in. And, and it's wonderful because the Thai people put a lot of care and love into their food and a lot of good, wholesome ingredients. And we just buy food outside and eat it here. Is there another language that's spoken in Thailand? They have main language Thai, and then there's regional dialects around the country. And the vast majority of Thai people will speak the main language Thai. But in regional areas like this in the north, there's some people that also speak northern Thai language as well. But there's also a lot of English spoken here. When I first came in 2002 in the capital city of Bangkok, I would have trouble finding people to speak English. And I I had to learn Thai in order to kind of get around. But nowadays, if I go to Bangkok, Thai people are interested in speaking English with me. I'm interested in speaking Thai (laughs) with them. And they're they're trying to speak English with me. And their English is quite good. Mm -hmm. They've gotten better because I've had almost a 20-year relationship with Thailand now. And over 20 years, the English proficiency has really increased throughout Thailand. That means like it would be easier for people to come over. I, I don't know if my brain has the capacity to learn another language. I'm open to it, but who knows? You wouldn't have to. There's plenty of people that speak English here. That's Lots awesome. of tours. We have a niece that went to Korea to teach English. And so um, you're right about that. People are wanting to learn English. And so there's a lot of 
people leaving the states, going over to other countries and becoming English teachers and teaching them. It's the international language. At some point in the future, long after you know we're dead and gone, English is going to be the language of the entire world. And it's been slowly transitioning that way over many hundreds of years. And it's only going to continue to grow. What I kind of see is English is going to be the language of the entire world, but we're kind of slowly, you know, through impermanence, these localized languages are starting to deteriorate more and more. You know, you probably have Spanish and Chinese and German and some of these others that will hold on for longer and longer periods. But over time, multiple generations, English will become the language of the entire world. I could see that happening. I totally could see it happening. David, I enjoyed talking with you. It's been a pleasure meeting you. And you were so informative. And thank you so much for coming on Authentic Talks. I would just like to thank you for inviting me onto the show. Thank you to all the listeners for listening and learning. I would like to invite all of you to join me online at our Facebook group, at our YouTube channel, at our website, at our podcast, to learn and experience what life is like when you can completely eliminate discontent feelings like sadness and boredom and loneliness and guilt and shame and all these other feelings where your mind can permanently reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. It's a wonderful life when you no longer need to experience anger or sadness So it's a choice that we make that we're actually going to continue to experience those feelings. But you can also make a choice to eliminate them from the mind. And it's the Buddhist teachings that will do that for you. So I'm here for you as you need help with resources and guidance offered completely free. So come join me. Like who doesn't want that? We all want that. We want to live our lives where we are not having all of those issues that you mentioned. That's right. Wow. Come come learn how to do it. And you can do it online from the comfort of your home. You can do it here in Thailand. You just need to decide to set aside some time in your week to learn and then practice the teachings. And you'll see the truth for yourself that your life will get better and better and better. I have to say that like, I enjoy the energy of people. You have like a calmness about you. Very calm and just, I like that though. That's the Buddhist teachings. It's called equanimity, calmness of mind, evenness of temper. And when you practice equanimity, yeah, you're calm. And and that's your gamma, right? Because the more you learn and practice these teachings, more and more people are interested to be around you. They're interested in helping you. They're interested in giving you jobs. They're interested in doing business with you. They're interested in being your friend, being your companion. So the more you learn and practice these teachings, you see people like it. People enjoy being around you. And that's what you're experiencing here is that you're feeling the calmness of the mind that I've trained. And therefore, you enjoy spending time and talking. And because I've been polite with you and all of our email communication, you chose to invite me onto your show. That's because you feel like, wow, this is a person I would like to have on my show. And this is gamma or the results of good, wholesome decisions. And everyone can experience the same thing. There's nothing special about me. I'm just an average human being. 
that learn these teachings and you can learn them and experience these changes in your life as well. I think it's good stuff. Absolutely. Uh, You guys, I've learned a lot from David and I honestly can now say that he is one of my teachers and I'm going to start the course on August the 9th. It starts over again. And what he has you do is to join him on a live and they're available on Facebook, through Zoom, as well as on YouTube. And then you're able to ask questions and get your questions answered right away. You're going through it together. You read your chapter and then he discusses that chapter throughout that live and it's awesome because of the fact that you're able to have that interaction and you're not just reading a book and just taking in the words without being able to process those words and understand what he's saying what I also love about taking this course with David is that he breaks down Guanama Buddha's teachings and helps everyone to understand that there is a difference it's not a religion and that Buddhist teachings were never about people worshiping him in the same way that we were taught growing up in our Christian faith that we were to honor Jesus. And he explains and breaks it down so well that Buddhist teachings are about the path to enlightenment. And so I'm bringing you and I'm this podcast to help anyone who does not have the understanding of that, this is a teacher who can teach you and help you to understand who was Guanama Buddha, what he stood for, and what he was all about. And I think that that's a great thing. Education is the key. And what I do want to share with everyone is that, you know, as the mind awakens, you're going to keep learning and growing as it awakens. And again, your life is going to become better and better. And you just have to continue to train the mind. You're going to hear about this from David. He talks a lot about impermanence. And all of these things are really great for us to to know and to understand. And what I really enjoyed and love about learning is that it coincides with mindset. All of it has a lot to do with mindset to me. And I now have that clear understanding, you guys, that you can walk in the path and live your life according to Guanama Buddha's teachings, but you will never become a Buddha. And I'm sure that the majority of the people listening in already knows that. But for some reason, you guys, I thought that when David was explaining it at first, that that's what I had taken away that like, Oh, so David, are you a Buddha? You're a Buddha, right? And so later on, I laughed about that so hard, you guys, like to where I almost had tears coming out. It was so funny to me because of the misunderstanding that I had. That's almost like saying, oh, so if you follow the Bible and you follow Jesus's teachings, then you can become Jesus. And so when I understood it in that way, It was hilarious to me and I appreciate David for being so patient and answering my questions and just really clarifying and helping me to have that clear understanding. And so I'm excited about starting the new class on August the 9th. And what I also loved is that you guys know it's Authentic Talk, so I may not always articulate my questions the best. 
And sometimes I get my words jumbled up and and all of that. And David was just so patient with me. This show was much longer than it is now. I had to actually edit and cut it down. I really enjoyed talking with him. And after I am done, you guys, going through the second round of the teachings, at some point halfway in, I will invite David to come back. And so I'm really looking forward to that as well. All right, you guys, I know that I talked a lot throughout the closing of this show, but I just had to really explain like how I felt. The truth is that wisdom improves the mind and it helps us to remove poisons. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'm Shantae with Authentic Talks.